Welcome to the Raft Podcast, Let's Fix Things, where Chus and myself, Joe Fletcher, explore the world of connected experiences, spanning from connected services, platforms, and devices over industries such as transportation, smart home, logistics, healthcare, and media. Chus and I started this podcast to explore design and strategy topics in more depth coming from the projects we handle in our design consultancy. Now, on to the show. Chus, good evening. Hey. Dave, good evening. What's up, man? Hey, we have Dave back in the studio with us to talk about, uh, I think, ethics, design, but it's going to be around the topic of Uber, or at least that's where we're going to start and see where it goes. And so, Dave, you, you were talking about, uh, about how we got to this point a moment ago. So if you want to refresh that and fill the audience in on how we came to this topic and uh, what we're going to be talking about a little bit more. Sure. We um, had a discussion at the office not too long ago about Uber. And my, my position on Uber is polarized internally. I love, hate them. And for me, it, it revolves around the fact that everything about the service is seamless. It works like I want it to work. But every time I choose to order an Uber, I support a giant head and an organization that supports him. So then let's back up and start on how we even got to that point too. Uh, uh, so I, I, I think where we wanted to get to on this podcast is part of, or at least where I was challenging Dave is we got what we want. We have a great customer experience, yet nobody's happy. And we clearly got to that point by a culture with Uber of aggression, hustling, going around the law potentially at points, going around regulations. Uh, but from a customer point of view, and this is where I agree on the love-hate side, it is amazing. It is everything you want in a customer experience. It, I mean, yes, I'm sure I can imagine ways it could be better. But frankly, five years ago, if someone told me I have a private car to take me everywhere, well, that wasn't really in consideration. In. Uh, but yes, I, I would have been yeah. in. Yes, yeah. I would have been like, hell yes. And we got it. Yep. And so what spurred this uh, discussion around the, the love-hate situation is the, I guess, turmoil or issues that have been going on with Uber over the past, I would say, few months. And I pulled up the articles here, at least the summary on some of these. So I'll, I'll go through the headlines very quickly, or at least what I remember. So a lot of this started by a post from Susan Fowler, uh, who talked about sexual harassment issues within Uber and how those were covered up. And then that started a landslide of other sexual harassment issues, including, let me see who the... Um, uh, Amit uh, Singhal, who is one of the executives, resigned based off this. Uh, and this was a different uh, different issue from the Susan Fowler issue. Then yesterday, there was an article posted on Uber executives going out to a hostess bar in Korea with mixed company. That then being covered up, or at least not, well, that's how it came out, was one of the executives called uh, Travis's then girlfriend and asked her not to speak about it if this happened. So there's all these issues that were happening. Then as well, there is the self-driving, quote unquote, self-driving car running the red light. Self-destructing car? Self-driving car, uh, which, you know, I, they've been going around regulations on that. So all this is piled up. And this is where the love-hate comes from. <laughs> piled up. I think you're only 
to be honest, you're only touching the tip of the iceberg. And perhaps on on the more recent end of Uber's history, yes, there is sexism and sexual harassment charges. I don't know about the last the last topic. That sounds un unconfirmed or at least so recent. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know. What no, the it was literally are. from this morning. From um, from from yesterday, but it it came out. Uh, hold on for a second. Let me. It it, it doesn't really matter too much, <laughs> but. I think there's there's something that's underpinning perhaps these evidences and these symptoms we're seeing within Uber that stem from the, the, the founder's principles, the founder's mindset about how business should be run and how design in turn enables that business to be run. So for me, the question sits more in the realm of personal ethical decisions as professionals and choices we make in in what we do. So if the uh, let's let's separate the sexual harassment issues from the regulate from the regulatory issues mm. for a moment, and let's set aside the sexual harassment issues as from much the as we economical can. model. Uh, well, yeah, well, economic model. Ju- just from the idea that that is there's a lot of personality problems issues there clearly but if i look at going around the regulation and going into different countries around the world and they've had problems in europe they've had problems in asia right with going into countries where there are regulated taxi services and this is an unregulated service with these situations we've just talked about we love it right we Mm -hmm. we we, this this is the definition of a customer experience everybody loves this is something that the designers who work there should be proud of Right? From that and, perspective, absolutely. And there here is, is where the conundrum comes in. Yeah, and I, that's that's part of that love-hate relationship, right? Because as designers, yes, you are working in true innovation. You're working <laughs> in a realm where you're disrupting. So from that perspective, absolutely. But I still question whether those same elements can't be achieved in a business model that doesn't seem so exploitative. Yeah, so it, it feels like they're taking disruptive more towards the dictionary term of disruptive versus versus the, the innovation term that people now are talking about. And do, do you think it's because they're basically taking shortcuts to get where bigger taxi companies have been? Maybe. I mean, someone framed this in the context of, okay, so they're kind of cheating right? They're skirting legislation or, or the current legal frameworks in markets that they operate in. And yeah, that, in a way that's being disruptive. But from another perspective, that's cheating. Yeah. Same with President Trump, who, and this is the analogy that was made, mm-hmm. um, same with President Trump, who f- told flat out lies during the campaign, yet still achieved the success of becoming president. Yeah. So the question was asked, is this simply the new MO? Is this the example that's been created of something that in effect works? But uh, so this is where I challenged you during the, the studio conversation, which is a lot of larger companies will install lobbyists in, at least in the US. I'm sure this is how other countries vaguely work. Uh, but these lobbyists are responsible for pushing government officials to change regulations in their favor. And these would be larger companies with much deeper pockets. And so was Uber simply taking the hack way of doing that. And basically, instead of paying lobbyists, they went around and they got public support. And therefore, people were like, why would you take away this thing I love? Right? So, so 
my question is, and again, I'm going to set aside that sexual harassment part because I, 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 in hell no way do I agree with that, right? But the idea of pushing the limits of regulation in order to get them changed, is that a negative? I think you hit the nail on the head in using the comparison to a hacker. So if you consider Uber a hacker, what would you think they are, white hat or black hat? Okay, Chris, you want to say go? No, no, no. I just I, I I like the analogy, and and it it forces you to make a binary decision, and so and, that's I think the question that that I yeah. struggle with with Uber, even though their product is amazing. But I have a, <laughs> I have a great example of what they did here in the Netherlands. There is like taxi services are very regulated here, and you need like to have an official taxi license to actually drive around in taxis. So when they came up with the Uber Pop, which means Anybody who installs the app and signs up for Uber can become a, a, a driver. Here in the Netherlands, that is called a black taxi. And the moment the Netherlands or the, the Dutch government got wind of that, they were like, okay, so we're going to be using that app to trace where they are. We're going to just let them pay the fine. And these fines here are very high. And they're actually sort of uh, multiplication fines. So the first time it's quite a big number. And the second time it's so big that you as a person cannot pay for it anymore. And what Uber initially wanted to do, and I think they did it once or twice, they said, well, we're trying to fight this legal battle and we're going to just pay those fines outright and, and any driver should feel protected by us backing them up with, with this money and, and just paying the fines. And that went down really fast because I don't think that their, uh, their war chest here in the Netherlands was quite big and the Dutch government uh, just, they, they hammered down on this and they, they stopped it and Uber Pop was here and pops at the bubble and it's gone. So, uh, okay, I'm going to come back to the, the black taxi situation because we also have the gray ball uh, Uber situation. Mm -hmm. So to your point, Dave, white hat for users, black hat for pretty much everybody else, right? Because again, for, for users, do I personally care that they went around regulation? No, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and this is where it goes back to what we said at the beginning. We got everything we want, yet everyone, no one's happy, right? And I do think there is a way to do this more uh, ethically, which is the Lyft way, right? I mean, this is also perhaps why Lyft is in second place, which comes back to the question of, uh, wh well, what you asked in the office was, is it, are we at a point where you have to lack ethical scruples, that's a good word, mm -hmm. uh, in order to move forward as a company, right? Is this, is this the environment that we are in, in order to make it, especially when you have VCs that are dumping tens of millions, mm -hmm. they're sort of going to do the deaf, dumb, blind, you know, but you better make something with my money. And so I, the question yeah. is, do you need to be a black hat business to succeed? Yeah. You can be white hat for users, but as a business, can you be white hat as well? You know, I'm trying to think of an example and I'm sure I, I can think of one here. I mean, yes, you can. So, I mean, uh, players like, I'm going outside of the transportation realm sure. at the moment. doesn't matter. But you take somebody like Netflix, right? They haven't gone around regulation. They've gotten people on board. Now they have done things in order to increase their own leverage on getting people on board. But they, as far as I know, have not gone around um, any sort of copyright or trademark situations. Yeah. And they are clearly out in front of anybody else. What our listeners in the U.S. might not know is that Netflix here in Europe actually actually quite an uphill battle before they were available in multiple countries. Oh, it was brutal here when I first yeah. came over. And, oh. and what's even more funny on top of that um, is that when I travel within Europe, I 
think it's fixed by now, but back uh, like a couple months back even, I would just get the local catalog and therefore also those local subtitles, which meant if I was in Denmark, I would only get the Danish catalog and Danish subtitles, which does not do anything for me. Sure. So from a nailing the the user experience perspective, they may lag to Uber. I think they face some other business challenges as well and that they rely on a carrier, regardless of where you are, to access their content. Yeah. But I think where Netflix really got its its head start is that they were just first to the, the run on licensing. Yeah. They signed massive catalogs early and were able to gain users based on that well before anyone else. And then they moved to like producing and, original and, and, content. And, yeah. So. And now about half of their popular content is produced or at least funded by themselves and therefore yeah. uh, they have the But from a a business running perspective, I know very little if if anything if there has been Controversy about Netflix, their their operation. Not that I have read or culture. No, no, no. It's been it's been. They're publicly traded. Actually, I, I believe their their culture is is fairly strong as far as what what I've heard internally from people who work there. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like it's it's not the examples that we've seen thus far uh, with other some some other Silicon Valley uh, companies. But I'm looking at my on my phone, mm-hmm. and I, I was looking at different applications. And across the top is WhatsApp. Obviously, you know, there hasn't been lots of controversy there. But Facebook, tons of controversy in the beginning. And then I even went back to things like Microsoft, lots of controversy around how they got started with Windows. You know, Apple had its own situations of, of hostile takeover and, and these things. And so, you know, do you, um, is this simply that we're putting two topics together? One of which, if it was only the ethical considerations, we would sort of be like, yeah, that's business as usual, but because of this uh, uh, sexual harassment issues, we're piling them all together and saying, well, no, this is unacceptable, when really what we mean is one part of this culture is unacceptable being the sexual harassment, and the other part, we're just sort of labeling it that way because it, you know, we can and it will come along, but if all these other allegations hadn't come out, would we really care that they were going around regulation because we get what we want? You know, from my perspective, I, I see it more in a, in a kind of a larger context, I guess. That whole Ayn Rand fountainhead bull and running a business, to me... Wait, is, come back. What, can you describe that? Because I'm actually not as familiar with that. Oh, that deep libertarian conviction that it's kind of a winner-take-all Darwinistic approach to, to the world. It's a worldview more than it is just a, a, a business view. Yeah. But I think that's a scorched earth approach that extends beyond what I'm comfortable with in, in my personal choices. Yeah. So that's where I struggle with Uber. Um, well, what I think is, is at least locally the, the issue with, I don't think that, that Uber usage here is declining for any reason. But that's also because there's no backup plan here. Mm-hmm. There's no competition that um, offers the same. There's taxi centrals that made an app with which you can call instead of calling a phone number, you now push a button. But then afterwards, you pay three times as much as you would pay for an Uber. So th- I, I guess the, the, the saying there, anything has a price goes here. I'm sure there's other things so with the user experience. Price? No, we are. That's <laughs> Sorry, my pointing can't be seen on, on uh, <laughs> or can't, yeah, I can't How be heard. paying that price? We pay much less than we would with a taxi. Oh, no, no. I meant to use a taxi, we're paying that price. Sorry, I misunderstood yeah. the question. Though. But we're 
therefore sponsoring something that we might not like, but we we don't dislike or we people don't seem to dislike that enough to go back to what they were using before. That's kind of the... Correct, because the economic boundary has been pushed past the whatever that Keynesian point is of, of resistance or whatever. My, my point that I was trying to make is more questioning, okay, so here's a standard service that's being offered at price, let's say a 10-mile ride for 20 euros. Uber yeah. comes in and does it at 8 euros. Yeah. There's a lot off the top there, yet they're still running the full business from the remaining 8 euros. Who's eating those costs? Well, they are right now, right? I mean, they're, they've been losing money. They've been getting continually investments. I mean, they keep the prices almost artificially low in order to gain market share in places they go. Are they sponsoring drivers? Um, what does compensation for drivers with Uber compare, like when you compare it to what taxi drivers in Amsterdam make? I'm not sure about that for, for here. And how is the car financing structured when you have to own your own vehicle and yeah. write that off? Yeah, no, I'm I'm not sure about those topics and how that regulation works here. No. I don't either. Yeah, but I, I'm I'm curious to know because I'm I'm looking at the same model as you are and yeah. questioning. Okay, there's 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 money missing compared to what there was before. Yeah. Yes. That's yes. benefiting well, us yeah. as consumers, and I'm all for that. But is it purely based on the technological platform? that those savings can be achieved or is there something in the economic model as well? No, that's actually really, I, I hadn't thought of it that way. I'd purely been from the like, this is cheaper. Yay. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, how as, you, a, as, as a, a user, consumer? yes, I'm like, you, um, no, that's a very good question. Yeah. Where, where is that missing money or to that point, uh, how are those savings being realized, I think, is the, the better term than where's that missing money? Well, okay. So, I mean, what it totally could be, right, is, is, is we know Uber's uh, cash flow is struggling as far as, you know, creating massive profits versus revenue. And the whole thing could simply be that they are currently losing money in order to gain market share. As soon as they gain enough market share, they start jacking the prices up slowly, um, which, you know, then allow them to recoup those costs. I think that I think that's in general one of the models I have heard that seems to be the most relevant. Mm -hmm. That once they can control a market, then they can push the prices back up and start recouping that cost. So the way that that the cost is being shifted around is they're simply not making money where the taxi companies that own well that own the taxis in Netherlands or other countries are probably taking off the top of drivers, and Uber is doing that as well. But Uber is probably taking less and i'm guessing the drivers are probably getting paid a little bit less as well so we're gonna get a, a pharma bro moment with uber at some point they first push out the competition and then they jack up the price yes yeah. i mean no th this is this is not I mean, new right he's, he, he's basically i mean travis has has said to the degree of you know once we can get rid of drivers we will do that right i mean that's not that's not a surprise right so it's push the prices low once you control a market drive those prices up remove the drivers and that's why mm. you have self driving oh. cars and you invest mm. in that and then that's where you all of a sudden the money floods in who was it i think it was bill gates he came with a really cool concept a while ago and i definitely <laughs> oh, want to bring that up taxing now about AI the taxes yeah because yeah. he was saying so companies right now pay taxes for like employees Employees and, and the main taxes that are made on companies are employees, not like emissions or, or, or materials or whatever. It's employees where a country runs on that money, right? Labor tax, income tax, and so on. Yeah, yeah. That whole stack together is, is the main income of, of any state or country at, uh, at this moment in time. 
And Bill Gates was saying, well, if companies can get rid of these people, we're going to be missing taxes money, right? And something has to fill up that gap. So is that something that we'll, we'll, we'll start playing with this? Is that a possible future scenario? Because we're going to have these costs, but we're going to lose the money, the income. Well, in theory, you might be able to say corporate tax comes in, but um, yeah, that doesn't seem to be turning out too well in the Likelihood US. Likelihood of that? Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I don't want to jump onto that topic quite yet. Dave, were you going to go there? No, I wasn't going to go there. Okay, I have okay. another question for you. Okay. So here's another comparison between Uber and regular or regulated taxi companies. When you get in a regular taxi, you know what the fare is because you know what the, the price per mile is. Ooh, uh, okay. I'm going to challenge you on this. Go for in, it. In, well, perhaps in Chennai or in other parts of the world, that may not be true, but in Western Europe and in North America, that's stated on the taxi cabs. Okay, go ahead. go ahead. So as a driver, you know what rate you can charge for a fare. In Uber's case, Uber controls the rate. They can move it up or down as they see fit. As a driver, you do not control this. Mm -hmm. So in effect, they have much more control over your revenue than in a typical situation. Correct, but this is also why I was mentioning that you know you drive out competition and then you can raise the price, right? Because they that, that's easy for them to do, perhaps. So, but is that to, again? Is the the question is is that to the benefit of the drivers or to to the benefit of Uber? I mean, I would assume Uber, right? If I was, I, I mean, so too. Yeah, if I was Uber, I wouldn't be jacking up the price and saying, you know, you might give a little bit more to the drivers to to keep them happy. Wait, yes. so search prices are a way of persuading drivers to be at busy spots, right? It's a, it's, it's a, from a carrot and stick point of view, it's a carrot to make mm -hmm. sure that where taxis are on short hand, that will fill up, right? So it is, it is a way of basically programmatically solving a problem in the real world, mm -hmm. right? It's an algorithm. So if we remove drivers, will search prices still exist? Because yeah. they technically do not make sense. They are not anymore there to... to The convenience offered to the user is no less, though. No, And it's based right? off demand. So, yeah, if a lot of people are still demanding and there's not enough self-driving cars around, yes, the, then I don't think the, this will go up. The fact that it's AI or automatically driven versus... Yeah, but, but now, now we're reasoning from the business point of view. I mm -hmm. get that part, but right now it's set in place to make sure that the drivers want to be where it's not nice to drive and where they'll probably get short rides. The search pricing is set up to make sure that supply will be there. So search pricing is just based off demand though, as far as I know, right? Is there a predictive element to it? I don't right know. Right now that's there right. is. There must, they, be. Okay. there must be. Yeah, so there, there, are, there are side revenue streams for Uber. One of them is big data crunching. They're helping cities actually um, um, think of where uh, new structures need to mm. be built, like roads and bridges and whatever. Mm -hmm. They know a lot. Um, so all that type of stuff they're constantly doing. That's why they're famous for saying, we're not a taxi company. Mm -hmm. And then everybody says, yeah, they also do food. No, they're a big data company <laughs> and an algorithm company. Yeah. That's what they're doing. Hmm. So I, I'm, I'm thinking since we've had this whole discussion, Part of this goes back, I think maybe 10 or 12 episodes ago, we had a discussion that regulators need designers, right? Because in this type of situation, you look at, from a regulation point of view, it's, it's hard to change things. You have unions that exist, and I, I don't know what unions are called in Netherlands, but I'm sure you have something like that here. 
you know, we, we know that taxi unions exist in other places in Europe. And so you do need some sort of change element within regulation that explains things from a user point of view, right? Because, it, I mean, the union point of view is, is quite important as far as job security. But on the flip side, I think we're seeing that users will dictate what happens, right? I mean, if you can get users on your side, then, you know, you're going to have people really, really angry if you stop these services. Um, and this could influence political issues. And so I, I start to think about what designers' roles are in this. Because from a designer, I, I can imagine, let's, pre well, let's pretend I'm a work at Uber and I'm just sitting here, I'm like, I just make a map and it tells me where to order things. Like, why? why? I don't want to think about all these big problems. And, and I just wonder, is it a designer's, I of course have, I know my own answer on this, is it a designer's role to think about these types of topics that we are going around regulation. Should I ethically be concerned about that? Should I think about that? Or should I just be like, nah, screw it. Like full power ahead. I'm going to design the hell out of this thing uh, from, you know, a, a driver point of view, from a user point of view, make everybody happy and just, just sit back and be Zen about it. I think every designer answers that for themselves in the end. That's a personal question. But I think you also recognize that all of us, at this table have faced questions from a business perspective in the past of, okay, there is an opportunity to generate revenue, but does this align with our vision yeah. and how we see ourselves? So at, at Frog, if I recall, it was quite clear, no alcohol, tobacco, tobacco or firearms. firearms. <laughs> exactly. That raises questions when a project comes up that runs the tightrope for you yep i i've actually been in that position where i was like okay that's a different studio i don't work there but it is the company that is on my business card and on my portfolio and they did some work that i really or work for a client that i really disagreed with and i was really really in trouble there but again <laughs> there comes that that kind of decision making am i going to quit my job over this or do i need to keep my job because i'm not sure what's going to happen well, to, to that point, do you also say, I'm out, at which point you're basically relieving yourself of any influence, or mm. do you try and solve it from within? And yeah. I, the only reason I think of this is I asked, uh, I was talking to a guy who worked at Microsoft when I was there, and yeah. he was complaining a lot about Microsoft. I said, well, why do you work here? Like, why do you continue to stay? And he said, well, it's easier to change things from the inside than the outside. And so, you There's know, it's, it's that. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's like, are you sitting there at Uber? And you're like, you know what? I, I realize that there is a problem, but I'm not part of it. And I'm actively working to change that because then, you know, this is the point of, you know, you can't get blindly angry with everyone who works at a company or, you know, if they're working for an alcohol company or whatever, maybe a tobacco company, you know, to understand that, that reason, that rationale that sits there. Uh, being angry and running away is never a solution for a problem. No, but I'd love to see initiatives come out of Uber that, do more than just pay lip service to these issues or try to put a PR spin on something mm. shallow, but mm. that actually address some of the underlying principles that I think are a little bit off, off yeah. for me personally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's, a, it's an interesting question. All right. So I think to, to that point, we've, we've gone over a lot of the, the situations. I think that covered the discussion we had. The discussion we had at work probably went for another 30 minutes. At least, um, yeah. Because we included a lot of other companies in there, but I think at this point we can wrap it up. 
And uh, Chris, we can come back to the uh, robots and taxes. I want to talk about robot taxes. Let's yeah. do it. I want to have a robot do my taxes. That, that's what it starts with. Next week. Okay. <laughs> well, the, the, okay. I, I think that is interesting because as designers, again, we are faced with a lot of these issues that we are designing the next wave that is putting people out of jobs. And, you know, are we just going to be sitting there thinking through what's the greatest user experience? Or are we going to be thinking a little bit deeper about what are the implications of what we're doing? And that's the yeah. same conversation that we are having today. And that's what, so when I asked you, Dave, mm -hmm. a moment ago about designer's responsibility, and I said, I already know my answer. My answer is yes, you should think about these things. If there's designers listening to this conversation saying, what the hell does this have to do with design? I think they've missed the point. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're maybe just thinking that design is this UI layer that you can put onto a product, uh, but the user experience really well, goes a lot broader. Your choices don't mean anything outside of the context of your deliverables. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I hope that's why we have these types of conversations on this podcast to really try and change the way that we look at this work. And this is why we have these conversations internally as well. Mm -hmm. um, because if we, if we don't, I think we're abdicating ourselves from a very important topic that design should play more of a role in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Hus is right in bringing up the topic of robots and taxes, because that is one of the frontiers for the de for the design world to play with currently it right. is an amazing realm where a lot is happening very quickly yeah yet there is also for designers a self-defeating purpose in this work yeah. so the question of how over time we compensate for the innovations we're achieving i think is a relevant question yeah Last year, we talked about accountability and, and AI or self-driving cars and whatever. Who is at fault? Is it the programmer? Is it the company? Is it the accident or the person that got hit? Where, where does it lay? This year, we're talking about robots and taxes. And next year, we'll talk about what we're going to do when we don't have a job anymore. Probably. Yeah. I got Although I'm ready to talk about that anytime. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Okay. Well, guys, thank you, Dave. Thank you for being a guest as always. And sure. we'll see you tomorrow in the office. Awesome. <laughs> Good to talk to you, and uh, yeah. we'll be back next week. Okay. Later, man. Bye. Bye.